Hey there, boys and girls. Tim K here, host of the Veterans Project podcast, founder of the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project as well. Over the past 18 years, our incredible men and women have been fighting a seemingly never-ending war, thousands of miles from home. Although we are certainly taking care of business overseas and ridding this world of some sinister evil men, this is not without a cost. Some of those costs are seen as in the loss of life and limb, while others are not as visible but still sacrificial nonetheless. PTSD, battle-related stress, sleeping disorders, and traumatic brain injury. Some of you out there know all too well what I'm talking about. Our current medical system's answer is all too often found in the form of prescription opioids, which really just mask the problem without getting to the root. You know what I'm talking about. Fear no more, though. Mayday Organics, founded by, by a former hard-charging recon marine, is here with the top-of-the-line CBD products, which are all third-party tested to ensure the most stringent of standards are met. With oils, topicals, soft gels, and even pet treats for your little furry friends, Mayday Organics is here to help. Check them out at MaydayHemp.com right now where they have special sales and shipping discounts going on right now. That's MaydayHemp.com. Check it out. Ranger, Green Beret, Sniper, USC Fighter, TV host, actor, business owner, survival expert, father, husband, proud Texan. There are a lot of things that can be said about this next guest, whether it's on the battlefield, in the octagon, or on the set of a show. But do you know the human? Tim Kennedy competes at everything in life, and his resume consistently demonstrates that fact. The Tim Kennedy that I know is compassionate and fun-loving with a work ethic that will put most to shame. He is someone who simply wants the best for his country, and whether you agree with him or not, you will always know how he feels. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss a single word of this podcast. He's been called Captain America. Here he is, the one and only Tim Kennedy. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. My name is Tim Kay. I'm your host, as always. We've got the other Tim Kay here. <laughs> he, he's, pretty, he's pretty cool, too. Uh, Tim Kennedy, hey. Special Forces sniper. Mm. Um, doing a lot of incredible work, um, bringing in new recruits as well. <laughs> Going out to Africa, doing crazy things all around the world. Tim, I, I think the audience probably knows you pretty well by now. I mean, we had you in the project about three years ago, but you're pretty well known in the veteran sphere and outside of it too. I've got friends that don't don't even really get into veteran stuff, which sounds really terrible to say, but <laughs> they're just terrible human beings, actually. Yeah. I don't know why they're my friends. Be uh, better people. Yeah. <laughs> but they uh, they love, uh, they've always, I've got a lot of friends who are into the UFC and they've always loved you as a fighter. Um, you were the guy that they got into. Yeah. I was um, reckless abandoned is how I always fought. <laughs> yeah. So that, I think that's just kind of when people like would watch a fight or they'd watch me on TV, they're like, 
this dude's dumb. <laughs> you know, like he has problems. <laughs> what's wrong with him? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is the, the so the first time I kind of got, you know, I kind of knew who you were was I was, I believe I was in Iraq. I was just coming back from Iraq and I kind of just gotten in the USC. And uh, I saw your Fort Campbell like fight mm. for the troops. What mm. year was that again? 2010? Yeah. Yeah. And I saw you and like, you just pumped that crowd up so much. And I had just gotten into the UFC before I thought it was a bunch of drunken street brawlers who like, you know, weren't, yeah. weren't cutting it in boxing or something. And then I start seeing athletes like you, yeah. uh, Uriah Faber was another guy who I watched very, you know, a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously saw, um, John Jones fight like one of his first couple fights so I'm like oh these guys are athletes now yeah so Tim can you you know I want to kind of get into you know obviously with the project we get into the past a little bit and you mm -hmm. know want to kind of get in your track into the world and I know it's probably a topic you're probably tired of but you know we need to kind of have a little background so so what led your path into special forces <sighs> man there was um a myriad of, of like perfect special forces is changing now, uh, to, for good and bad maybe. But, uh, when I, what well, I knew about it was they were, so my dad was a narcotics officer and, uh, of some note and did mm. some pretty amazing things. I saw that picture earlier. Yeah. Him stealing that plane back. Yeah. Like, not stealing it back. Like that was a plane that they stole that they flew to Central America and loaded with cocaine from a cartel of South America and flew it home to distribute to North American distributors who then they arrested. Wow. So Some um, undercover, undercovers. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. triple layer. <laughs> I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> so listening to my dad being in South America, um, working with, you know, DEA seventh group. Um, that was the first time I'd ever heard of, you know, wait, what are these military guys doing down there? Like they're, they're speaking Spanish in Colombia, you know, in Medellin and Bogota, yeah. um, Cartagena and tracking down cartel members and doing super ratty gangster stuff. This is like pre nine 11, right? Like yeah. th this is, the only war that was being fought at the time, you had Panama, Grenada, you know, kind of passive aggressive proxy wars with communism. But this was like legit, no holds barred, violent war in South America. But there's no congressional um, war resolution, right? This is just military dudes being gangster. As like, and that that was like, I had that them on this pedestal of this is this is the epitome like this is the tip of of any form of military realized um so then when 9-11 happened that was a different period of my life where i was a total bag um and i love the way you tell the story by the way <laughs> yeah. when, when so I, honest yeah but like nobody believes the level of tomfoolery that I was in like the shenanigans of my life at this point where there's like when I say a few women were pregnant literally a few different women were pregnant with my children wow. I thought I had AIDS um you know I'm in grad school I come from like an incredibly successful family I had every opportunity and I'm looking at every chance to destroy any future I have 
Um, I was more concerned about like what pants I was wearing to what party and how fast I could pound a Goldschlager, you know, and like hoping that at some party I'm at, some dude will get tough so that, because I'm a professional fighter at this time, so then I can scuff him up and look cool to the chicks. Like just a, mm. such a shit bag. Mm. Like such the worst human ever. And then watching Americans looking out of a building and looking back inside that building and seeing them contemplate, do I burn alive or do I jump to my death? Right? And I'm sitting here the epitome of humanness in Central Coast, California, working at a dot-com e-commerce, you know, like bouncing between a beach house and, and a ranch, a vineyard. You know, like, what, like, what the... <laughs> it's hard know? to even imagine you that way, though. It's hard for me to even imagine you that way now. Yeah, so that was... Um, like, that moment was the beginning of change. Yeah. And... Um, Thank God for it. Yeah. So, you know, once you made that decision, you know, what what was the, was it immediately I want to be special operations? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so knowing, so then going back to me being eight and listening to stories of Green Berets in South America, you know, like setting Vietnam era traps for cartel coyotes, um, you know, helping so that plane that they stole, they got from this other group that stole it, that were Green Berets, that pretended like that they were part of the Red Cross deliver, delivering humanitarian aid totally against the law <laughs> in like a whole bunch of different ways. <laughs> um, so like remembering those stories, I was like, there's only one thing I can do. Like, yeah. I'm going to do this. So I went all in. There was no, there was no. And when people email me and ask me like, hey, do you have any advice about, you know, going to selection? I usually give them like two or three paragraphs that are pretty pre-cut about okay here's how you should be physically here's how you should be mentally and here's this last thing there's no option besides success mm. like if you think okay if i don't succeed here i can go to the 82nd or i can go to eod you know or i can go and try to get into range of battalion like those are not options like you will either get your green beret or you will die because mm. once you set that path in your head you you most likely won't succeed for sure. Yeah. 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 Like guys that were already like setting secondary and tertiary options for themselves. We, I knew for sure they're going to fail. Yeah. Wow. So what was, what was selection like for you? So much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So the, all phases of training from the time from pre-selection and as an 18 X-ray, they had this thing called SOPC special operations preparation course and that was the biggest attritter for this is the very beginning of the war. You know, we're like class three or four of 18 X-rays. Um, so the regiment, the Special Forces Regiment did not like the idea of 18 X-rays. Young kids off the street at the time, they all had degrees. So like all of my, all the guys that I was in selection with were all collegiate athletes. Uh, freaks. I mean, like amazing athletes that wanted to go do great things. Um, but SF were like, Hey, you guys are too young. You know, you're right out of college. Might as well just be an officer. And, um, because of the pedigree of guys I was going in with, we, that with all the same mindset of, we have no other option, but, but success, um, from basic training to infantry school, infantry school to airborne school, airborne school to SOP C, we're now like a pretty cohesive, we'll call it us a unit. Mm. There's like 25 of us that were all in the same company together. 
and um, all 18 x-rays from the very beginning. And then when we get there, you know, there's like 400 dudes in holding wanting to go to selection, but they had killed some green berets um, at the beginning of the summer. So they're like, all right, no more green, no more 18 x-rays going in here. Mm. You, ha- you have to wait until fall. So we got stuck in this SOP C, this preparation course for two and a half months. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> there were f- over 400 of us. 90 of us went to selection. Oh my gosh. The rest went the way of the dodo bird. They went to EOD or they went to 101st or, and, um, of the, of the 90 of us that went to selection, 80 of us got, 88 of us got selected. Wow. Like zero we're giving, (laughs) like you would have to kill us to stop us. The two that didn't get selected were complete non-selects. So they finished all 28 days of selection and then they're like, Hey, you can come back. Yeah. You're insane, but you can come back. Wow! Like they just didn't, you know, meet the 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 criteria, and they had they had. While the bar should never change, right? It does change. Yeah, it should never change, <laughs> but it does change. The bar for us was held high. Yeah. Um, Has it changed a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Horrifically, mm. tragically, dangerously. Mm. Um, you know. Uh, you can't mass produce special forces. Right. Period. Uh, like that is one of our core beliefs: is you cannot mass produce green berets. Um, they're tr- the the demand for the mission has grown to such a degree that they're like, hey, these guys can do all of these things, whether it's direct action, time sensitive target DA missions, um, you know, J sets training foreign partners, um, and because we can do all those things. They were using us, but there's not enough of us. So like, Oh, we'll just make more of them. That's not how that works. Yeah. Right. So they're like, Oh, and then, then we'll have women do it too. Uh, But we're going to change the standard. And then it's like, okay, we are going to have, we're going to like drop GT scores to get in, or Mm. we're going to, we're going to drop these five gates that have always been there since the beginning of the time, you know, 1960s, we're going to take some of these gates away as absolute requirements and make them like, when they get to the board and there's a group of people that are going to look at a packet and there's going to be a bunch of things that you're supposed to have done to be a graduate or a selectee to move on to training there, instead of them being requirements, they're going to be like, you should have been able to do these. Right. Hopefully you got kind of close. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's how dudes die. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, particularly, I don't know if it was a year or so ago, but there was a letter that came out or something about... Uh, an open letter from yes, a Green Beret. an open letter, yeah. yeah and General <laughs> Sontag tried to take that dude's um, SF tab. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Wow. They tried to yank his SF tab. Oh, my God. For telling the truth. Yeah. That the standard had changed. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, uh, General Sontag is now retired. That's oh. what happens when you try to punish somebody for being truthful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey, uh, sir, your career's now over. Yeah. No, we don't have another job for you. Like oh, that's what that looked man. like. Jeez. So every time you think about through um, punishing a dude for telling the truth, karma is a. Yeah. I don't care what your rank is. Yeah. You know, when a dude is trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. don't punish him for doing the right thing. That sets a pretty bad climate. Yeah. 
You know what's funny is that sounds like something that would happen in the regular army. That doesn't sound like something that would happen coming from a special forces general. Like yeah. you're, you know. Well, that should never happen anywhere in the yeah, military. It Absolutely not. Um, the fact that it was happening within special operations yeah, is wild. insanity. Yeah, I know. You know. I thought that was crazy. Yeah. When I heard about that, yeah. I wonder where those. The whole entire command at the time. Yeah. I'm like, I want to wear your skin as my birthday suit. Like, that's how <laughs> mad I am at you guys. You know? Somehow I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> that's um, a weird thing. Like, you know, like, I, I, we've corresponded and we play around on Instagram sometimes. And, you know, you, sh- you shot me a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I, I think I have, like, a pr- pretty gregarious personality yes. and pretty approachable and pretty open. Yeah. Um, but then, like, people forget the savage. Like yeah. I'm a f- savage. Mm. Like I will wear your skin. Yeah. Like you betray my friends or my family. Like I will wear your skin. <laughs> you <know? laughs> what is that? Where does um, that come from? I mean, that is that is from birth, bred for, yeah. in a house in a house full of of overachievers that were gifted at violence. Yeah, Seems in like a really great way. That way. Oh yeah, yeah. A beautiful. So I I I talked about masculinity yesterday. GQ magazine posted this picture of new masculinity and it had a dude wearing a dress that looked like a plastic yellow tarp <laughs> because and of it, course yeah well of course and it's like well masculinity has never changed yeah good masculinity right now there's there's bad forms of everything but like pure masculinity is like kindness and power and strength put to a good purpose you know it's fearless it's fearless truthfulness it's like protection of the weak and fighting of evil and holding of doors and holding of chairs and you know being a good father um and all things chivalrous yeah yeah um and while my dad was a powerful strong um door kicking i will shoot you in your face if your dog tries to bark my bite my partner i'm partner i'm gonna murder it right in front of you yeah like true stories um <laughs> the kindest like he never laid a hand on me in anger ever you yeah. know like um he's not i'm not saying he's perfect but like my brother my brother-in-law's like they they have they have really set a standard for me about what it means to be a man and what masculinity looks like and that bar is very high. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I just try to follow them. So what happened? Do you feel? Like, I mean, not to go back and harp on this too much, but what do you feel like happened when you were in those pre nine eleven days? What do you think led you that way? Um, you mean a head? Yeah. The Entitlement, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you see entitlement in the veteran community, yeah. where you see a guy that like was a hard charger, you know, a a barrel chested freedom fighter, and then he gets out, and two years later, he thinks he's entitled to like a free dinner at Sizzler and like ninety <laughs> percent disability. You're like, get out of here, bro. You know, like free I remember Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, wait, you know, I don't get a free dinner here. Look yeah. at me. I'm a veteran. I got a beard. You know, like, hey, black rifle coffee. I don't get free coffee. You know, like, no, man. You what did you sign up for? You got like a cot? Yeah. A couple of meals. Not even like three. 
I think yeah. they always like you get three square meals and a bed. No, <laughs> I never was promised any of that. Right. Right? Like, you can sleep on the ground and we'll give you an MRE a day. That's weird how that happens because I feel like that must be just an extension of our culture because with the World War II guys, that didn't happen. No, hell like, no. They didn't do that. You know, I've interviewed now 12 to 15, you know, guys from Baton Death March veterans to Medal of Honor recipients and guys, and none of them are like that. No. And they were never like that. I don't know if it was like, oh, well, you know, you're talking about, I remember Paul Merriman, a guy I covered who went to Iwo Jima, you know, said to me, well, it was as simple as you look down the row and Bob got shot down over Sicily and Mike was in the Battle of the Bulge. So you start bragging about your stuff. They're going to be like, hey, nobody cares. <laughs> we all went through this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we don't have that kind of checkmate in our culture because there's only 2% of us that volunteered really. Yeah. And I feel like that's become kind of an extension of the culture in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I mean, what do you think? Well, I, I know entitlement in any form is an emasculating, horrible personality characteristic enabler. So if regardless of what title type of entitlement you're, you, are, you, you are like aligning yourself with, whether it's like a veteran or welfare state or um, a spoiled rich little in California – like I was, yeah. um, all of those have similar negative, like realizations, right? Right, like they, they all—it's the same thing personified in different avenues. And um, so for me, it was like I, I know what success looks like, uh, but over here, like this is way easier. Right. Like the girls are easy, you know the college grades are easy you know like the parties are easy and and like i deserve it all yeah right like i look at i'm I'm like one of the best athletes in the world you know like i'm like a 4.0 student you know like i i deserve all this yeah it's just entitlement and um and i i think entitlement can't coexist with humility right and i had no humility and um so, basing off of where you were there, could you have made it to the UFC without the military? I absolutely had the talent. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> no, because I would be dead of AIDS. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, headed down the bad track. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 No, like, I had like a girl walk into my gym and be like, hey, we had this like party and there was like a bunch of you know, like girls in this room and like one of the fighters that fought at this night, um, like he was part of this little orgy. And well, anyways, I have HIV and wow. I'm trying to track down all my partners. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember you. Ooh. Yeah. Man. Cool. So I'm going to go ahead and have an AIDS test done every month for the next two years Jeez. Um, after that. Wow. And that was like at the same time that I had three women pregnant. Wow, man. So, dump, dump, dump. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun stories. I don't even know where to take it from there. <laughs> the <laughs> usual time with Tim Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know where to go from that statement. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, you make it through selection. You're on a different path. Mm. You've cut a different path in your life, and you make it to your units. What was that first tour of? It was to Iraq, right? Yep. What was that first tour like? Man, so I had not changed as much as I should have. First of all, <laughs> I, I think my whole entire life—it's just all of these instances of like, oh yeah, you had all the opportunity, but yet again, you're just super stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh oh, look at this—you could do this remarkable, incredible thing. 
No, but you're dumb. That's right. That's right. You're going to make bad decisions. So it's the same thing. You know, like I'm I'm a first go through every single, every stage of the Q course. I skip most of language school. I test out, um, get to go to a specialty unit right away. Um, you know, like a, a hostage rescue. Cool. Super cool unit. And the deployment was part of a bigger mission to try and track Zarqawi and catch Zarqawi um, and kill, capture him. So this task force was built with a bunch of different special mission units. And I'm the youngest, most newly enlisted and second 18 X-ray ever to be part of this unit and the only one in this whole entire task force. And um, Sounds slightly terrifying. Yes. Yep. And cool. Yeah. Could be really cool. Yeah. If like, for example, things like this came out of my mouth. Roger, Team Sergeant, that's a great idea. I'll do that. <laughs> or I will for sure check the headspace and timing on the mod deuce because that's what you told me to do. Um, inversely, um, things that came out of my mouth might sound something like this. What are you talking about? I should be the one in the door because I'm the fastest and the strongest and the best. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a good one, right? That doesn't sound like that would last long. No, no, that's, yeah. Or what do you mean we lost an aircraft and you have to change up the load plan and you're going to push me off and make me QRF? I'm the one that should be the first through the door because I am the best. <laughs> yeah, there's another one, right? No, these are real things that I said. I don't know why you're laughing at me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, so that didn't go well. Anyway, so that deployment ended up going perfect. Yeah. Um, we all came back. We killed a bunch of bad dudes to include Zarqawi. The task force did. It's not like I'm like, like talking to JTAC. All right, go ahead and drop that bomb on Zarqawi. Yeah, yeah. yeah get him. <laughs> or, hey, Chris Kyle, do you get that guy? Yeah. Yeah, good job, Chris. You're like, <laughs> like he was part of the task force. Um, oh, wow. Didn't I know that? So, Let's revisit that I was like the most lowliest person in the whole, you know, <laughs> the whole entire company. Um, and at the end of this, like, you know, we did 200 and something TST targets, like wow. time sensitive targets, um, you know, DA'd like a thousand buildings or so. It was crazy. Jeez. All in, all in, a, in, a, in this one task force deployment. And this is 05, right? Uh huh. And um, my team sergeant's like, and that is just a testament to how incredible everyone else besides me was. Um, because when I got back, he's like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to ranger school and you're going to graduate, honor graduate, or you don't even get to come back to this team. Um, wow. And by this team, I mean this company. Like, You're going to have to go find a different job somewhere else in special forces. And I don't care where that is. Oh, wow. And between the time I see you now and the time that you graduate as honor graduate, you better like grow up and... Um, and then he said some other nice, not nice things, but like you get the general <laughs> yeah, yeah. The direction of that oh, conversation. Yeah, it was a fiery conversation. Yeah. I think they have like counseling, like as a senior non-commissioned officer, I should know, like there's like forms that you're supposed to counsel people like periodically. Yeah. I don't know what those are. And, um, <laughs> and that was also not the, the special forces world that I grew up in. It right. was a, um, refiner's fire. Mm, yeah. yeah. Beat you into the ground. Yeah, and, and I was like a really bad piece of metal, so you had to beat it a lot more. You know, like an extra dumb one. You're yeah. like, I'm gonna put more heat on this and then I'm gonna hit it more, and then I'm gonna put more heat on it, and then I'm gonna hit it more. Mm. And it's still not working. 
So I'm going to go ahead and do that again. Wow. Yeah. Is that your favorite deployment out of the deployments? Oh, man, you did? no. No? No. Which, uh, what was your favorite? Afghanistan was super cool. Uh, mm, I seem to remember that one. Yeah. I, I mean, there remember were, a certain gunfight. Yeah, no, there were, so were, there were a bunch of great ones. And, and the reason it was great was because I went over there as a, a supplement sniper team, me and my sniper partner. Um, we were like used to sock snipers that were going to be going and helping other tier one units um, to, in, in, to include our, our allies. So okay. like the checks off and Brits and the Canadians and the Australians. So like if they had, like if their special mission unit was going to go and do something and they wanted, we, we were like a asset that okay. they could ask for. Gotcha. Um, but what happened was as soon as we got there, like we, we've been in country like a week. My sniper partner gets the, the, letter from his what what do they call this letter like a dear dear john yeah dear john letter like oh no um and he's like what is this oh my saving account's empty and you're asking for divorce and you sold our house and all my stuff's gone oh like like it happened in a week like she'd been planning for this to happen wow so he gets this permissive go home to fix his life and that leaves me by myself yeah like what so like i'm not an asset anymore like I don't have a sniper team. Like now I'm a standalone individual dude. Um, so fortunately I had the skill set and I had all these specialty schools. So I kind of remained in that role of being a thing that could be asked for. And I got to go with a lot of cool people to do a lot of cool things, but I didn't really have any, like there's nobody that was in charge of me. Like I was, I wasn't, I wasn't part of group. You know, like I didn't have an ODA. I didn't have like a team sergeant to answer to. You know, like I talked to the 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 talk sergeant major and be like, okay, who's going out? And th- what I would do is I'd go find out what the, like the next mission sets were, and I'd go and like knock on a door, I'd be like, hey, what's going on? I'm Tim Kennedy. Um, I got a bunch of long guns, and I shoot people from far away, and then I shoot people up like really close, um, and I'm like super violent, and um, and I'm free. Like you don't have to pay for me. You like all you have to do is like give me a seat, yeah. and I like grovel. I'd suck. I would do anything to get on any any vehicle, any aircraft. You know, I was like, oh, you have a light skinned um, Land Cruiser. I'm in. I'm yeah. like, oh, cool. You're going to be driving like, you know, mopeds. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm serious. That's, like that's anything awesome. that was rolling or flying, I would try to talk my way on yeah. for the whole entire deployment. Wow. That's awesome. So I got to do some really, really, really cool, crazy, unbelievable things. Um, and so then diff- like different countries, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And then some like horrific things, you know, mm. tell me about that. sucks. Um, so one of those things, they were, uh, Czech special forces. We're going to be moving from one of our big AOBs into one of our small FOBs. And, um, they were going to be out there for like four months and we were going to be escorting them and, and delivering all of their provisions for them to work out of this firebase for four months. So for them, like it was a six-month deployment, right? And so they have like a, a one-month kind of build-in, transfer to the FOB, three months of work, or four months of work, and then a month loadout. Um, that's their deployment. 
Um, so I get there and I was like, oh, hey, y'all are going out to this Firebase Anaconda. It's going to be like a two-week drive um, along this one designated road between the AOB and the FOB. And um, you have one ODA that's going to be uh, escorting you, but you have no American that is going to be co-located with you. Mm. So guess what? I speak American. <laughs> yeah i got guns too so would it be cool if i was just assigned to this check unit yeah. for whatever duration you need yeah and they're like oh this is great plan you know and they yeah, like yeah. super european accents and like <laughs> um we'll just like go from here point a to point b which is going to take a few weeks and we're going to get pretty much attacked the whole entire way yeah and that's what ended up happening so from the time that we left it took about two days oh my and until we got to our fire base two and a half weeks later, three weeks later, we had pretty much been in gunfights every single day, wow. um, some of which lasted for – we were designated to be in a tick the whole entire drive Jeez. because we we're troops in combat the whole entire time. Wow. Um, and some of the worst periods of that trip, we drove into this valley – and um, we're coming into this village and the village is like, we, we saw like donkeys and people like running over the hills. We're like, well, this is odd, right? <laughs> Probably not a good sign. <laughs> yeah, bad <laughs> sign. For sure, bad sign. And we get into the village and it's just like ghost town. It's like I'm in New Mexico, oh, no. one of those ghost towns. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, like you could still like see smoke that's smoldering and cooked fire pots oh, but man. it was like legit the taliban came in there said sounds awful all of you people run because we're going to kill all of you and then the people that come through here we're going to kill all of them right well we were those people that they were going to kill yeah. so as soon as we got to the far side of this village it was an ied rpg pkm initiated ambush that all those things happened at the same time it was crazy it was like boom the truck in front of me blows up and everybody dies and then like an rpg skips off our hood and then there's just like machine gun fire and that oh, was the geez. beginning of a three-day gunfight. Wow. Um, where like lots of Purple Hearts on the American side, lot, lots of K KIA, KIAs on the Czech side. Um, you know, like guys getting, I mean, just typical horrible war stuff. Yeah, wow. Um, Overpressure from the bomb in the vehicle ahead of me. You know, like I'm throwing up and shitting myself from wow. like overpressure sickness. Um you know, like there was one time where I, we'd been shooting for so long, I think like, you know, two days and while like most people are like, oh, I could be up for two days. Yeah. You totally could be, yeah. but being up for two days and like running up and down mountains with body armor on and like murdering people does a different thing in the taxing your body. Yeah. Right. And like the whole CNS measurement of like, <laughs> all right, as CrossFitters like, okay, I'm going to totally whack my CNS in a super hard workout in 30 minutes. I'm going to recover for the next 23 and a half hours to hit this next. You're like, gotcha, bro. Uh, <laughs> what I'm going to do is try not to die for the next 48 hours. Anyway, so I wake up underneath this Humvee and there's like diesel dropping on my face. And I was like, Ugh, how did I get underneath here? And then I crawl out and I throw up and shit myself some more. Uh, and then it's like, oh, wait, we're still in a gunfight. Oh, my god! Like gosh. nothing had changed. I don't know how long I've been underneath there. Wow. And um, so that sucked. Jeez, yeah. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> well, I would not wish um, poop running down anyone's leg you know, on my worst enemy. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Man, that's, that's tough, you know, loss in combat. I mean, I'm sure you didn't know those guys too well, but it's always tough when you lose guys. Yeah, I mean, so that's like, I mean, everybody knows this. Like, if you've worn a uniform, if you're on the same side, yeah. even sometimes when you're not on the same side, 
Yeah. Like you're still doing the same job. Yeah. You're like um, Confederate and Union soldiers. Like, yeah. While there was hate, there was also love and appreciation. Um, just like in World War II, like on Christmas Day, you see those pictures where like Germans and Americans were like having coffee today yeah. together. They're yeah. like, do you want, like, I don't want to fight today. Yeah. Like it's Christmas. They're singing like carols back yeah. and forth over the line. Yeah. I mean, right? tomorrow we're going to, we're going to go back to killing each other, but there's a mutual respect here. Right. Um, let, I mean, but even more so like allies where, um, I know those guys would jump on a grenade for me, Yeah, you know, and to this day, I'm still friends with a whole bunch of those checks off guys. Wow. Um, I've been back to, um, all amount and, and Prague on human intelligence and counter human trafficking missions Yeah, and seen those guys and be like, what's you doing, dude? I remember you, <laughs> you know, you were missing a portion of your ball. Do you remember that? He's like, yeah, some shrapnel got in my ball and it swelled up to the side of the softball. I'm like, I remember that. Um. It was so gross. You know, like I never want to think about that. Why did you bring that up? <laughs> Tim Kennedy, you have no interesting stories. <laughs> <laughs> Like man, we only get one life. Yeah, you know, like yeah. um, you're living it richly. That's man. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So we, you go from there, you know, in in that tour of Afghanistan, obviously sounded pretty tough. Um, and you come back, and you know, did you have any time to decompress or nope, nope. no, 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 you're back nope. at it right away. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I'd been back like two weeks, and they're like, hey, you got to go down to um Trinidad. There's like some terrorist cells that, and the president's going to be going down there for the, like this, not conference of America. Yeah. Conference of Americas. So you're like PDSS for secret service and you need to hand them target packages from all these things. You need to train all these guys there. And the, like the cops and the military, are like the same thing there. They're like, you're going to work with them and go and try and find these assholes. And I was like, I haven't even cleaned my guns yet, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure all of my gear is covered in like Afghani blood. Yeah, you know, so like, wow, I'm gonna go to the laundry and then pack my bag. Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> and off we went. <laughs> we'll give you 12 hours. <laughs> wow, man. So you know, but you and I have talked about this before. You know, with you and you know PTSD and the fact that you know you you move on. Yeah. You know, and you've been able to do that. What's because, man, that that's a stressful deployment. I mean, but it's what you expect to go on special operations side. But still, you can never prepare yourself for that level of trauma. You know, so so how do you move past that? Because um, a lot of people listening to this, you know, are stuck in those ruts, you know, and, and they, they're in that space where they're, they're really struggling. <sighs> how have you managed? So. Post-traumatic, right? Um, mm -hmm. Trauma is anything. Like I, I have right. a friend that's an entrepreneur. His company almost went bankrupt a couple of times. And he's like, dude, I think I have like post-traumatic stress from that. Like, like talking to you, I feel horrible even saying that. Knowing, I was like, well, first of all, shut your face. Yeah. You, I get what you're saying 100%. And like that is legitimate trauma. And everybody's yeah. levels of the amount of trauma that they can handle are, are different. Um so I have a bunch of co really healthy coping, coping mechanisms from how I grew up. Um, you know, a really close family, well-educated. I'm very healthy. You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. You know, like I'm an athlete. Um, growing up in a very high-stress world with, with my dad and my mom, um, getting really used to seeing healthy ways of, of dealing with 
extreme external stress. Um, so all that aside, my level of what I determined to be trauma is very, very high, that threshold of what would break me. And then like realizing um, in or after trauma, like what kind of trauma that is and what do I need to do to stay very, very healthy. Like I have had like a couple of nightmares. I've been in special forces for 15 years. Um, a couple of them. Wow. In my whole entire life, you know, and like, like I've killed women and children, Yeah, you know, like, and I, I, I said that on a post one time and I, <laughs> I still get people that are like, you, you get know, ripped apart all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're like, this is a guy that brags about it. I'm not bragging about it. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm setting a clear table for people to appreciate the type of stress and trauma that I've experienced. Right. So like, just so everybody can shut the f- up, there was a machine gun sticking out of a window that was blitzing the door that me and my friend were trying to get through. Yeah. Like splintering bits and fragments of, of, of the door is skipping round, skipping off next to my friend's foot. And like, I take a peek and I see the window in the machine gun barrel and I throw a grenade through that window. Yeah. Guess who the dude has barricaded in the window in that room with him? Women and children. That's right. Women and children. They're assholes. Yeah. So like when I say like, it's a horrific thing. Like this is terrible. This is not bragging. Like this is like right. the things of nightmares. But I, I, you're explaining the terms of warfare. Absolutely. And right. but they. And I'm gonna just. I'm gonna say it like clearly and honestly. So like not in a braggadocious macho way. Like nobody should ever brag about hurting a one a woman or a child or anyone for that matter. Right. Um. But now after that, like as a man that has done that firsthand, experienced that firsthand, um. And can like still go pick up my two week old daughter or listen to her cry. So the the worst part was not everyone in that room died, mm. right? There's a bunch of women and children that lived, yeah, um, did not live well, and um, babies that did not live well uh, because of my grenade. So when my kids cry, you don't think that I think about the last time I heard really horrific crying, right? Yeah, like hell yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, but everything that I do now is to maintain and continue to grow as a person. And the only way that you can grow is through pain. Yeah. Um, so I treat pain. I, I treat trauma as growth opportunities. Um, emotionally and physically, right? Yeah. Like my muscles don't get stronger until I hurt them. Yeah. Right. Like so my, that in that workout earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, a lot of pain. A lot of pain, yeah. and um, and you see, like you see me in between those rounds. I'm like, I'm hammering this bag, and like I sit down, and I'm like, oh, that hurt. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and get up and do some more of that. Yeah, because that means I'm getting stronger. Yeah, and I'm like in the pool, and we're doing sprint sets, and like we keep increasing the pain. Like literally, like yeah. we're quantifying what pain looks like in a hundred meter speed speed measurement, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, that sucked. Let's make it suck more. <laughs> the scientific measuring of that yeah. and then absorption of that pain. So then how yeah. do you apply that to your soul and your mind mentally? I don't know how to quantify it, mm. but I know it exists. Right. You know, there's a whole thing about that. I've been I've been thinking about that a lot with the trauma that I've seen in the last few years of doing this project. But the guys that I've noticed that have gotten over it and done the best have been our World War II veterans. And I think that it has to do with that hard lifestyle. 
they grew up like you. You grew up in a hard life. Yeah. Like your parents did not baby you. No. They set you on a path for success. And you grew up in a very stable home. Most of these World War II guys did. They grew up in these stable homes. They, you know, whatever, milking 60 cows before 5 a.m., you know, at six years old. They have these hard lives. And so, you know, I had Woody tell me, you know, the Medal of Honor recipient from Iwo Jima, he took out eight pill boxes by himself at 18 years old with a flamethrower. And... (sighs) <laughs> You're salivating. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> but he did that and he said, you know, I had had six or seven of my, seven of my brothers and sisters die before I was 12 years old. Yeah. And my dad died in the field. He had a heart attack, you know, when I was 12. From working. Yeah, from working. From working. So when I get to Iwo Jima, it's like, oh, okay, death, more death. Yeah, I, I know this. Yeah, I know this. Yeah. And then after this, like, I know what pain feels like. Yeah. Cool. I know this too. And you put yourself there. Yeah. You do that. Um, back to like the entitled veteran. You want to talk yeah. about an environment that's conducive for post-traumatic stress to grow? Mm. It's an entitlement, right? When you think that it should be easy, when you think that you should be given these things, that is that is where all horrible grows, right? That's like, that's where extramarital affairs occur. Mm. That's where injuries occur. That's where alcoholism occurs. Um, that's where post-traumatic stress grows. Like that is a Petri dish of disaster waiting to happen. Um, or there's a different option, the Jocko Willink approach, mm. right? The yeah. Andy Stumpf approach. Like I'm not going to say the Tim Kennedy approach because my approach is just like, I'm dumb keep hurting right like this is pain i like it you know like but that's it like what I feel is like it's the same thing though like jocko's got that four o'clock watch thing yeah. you know and you're doing that every single day you put yourself through that yeah. it's not stupid you know it works yeah. as, as soon as you leave or as soon as we're done here like what do you think i'm gonna go do probably something that causes more pain that's right that's right we have about I'm learning very quickly <laughs> see you're smart that's the difference between us um no. let's go shoot some bow until like my shoulder gives out yeah you know until i lose light and my son who will be out there shooting with me will be like daddy we're done no. like, you're not done boy <laughs> 500 more shots <laughs> Oh man, you talked about people complaining. (laughs) We heard the podcast, Tim. And um, uh, child services is on the way to the house right now. (laughs) They have a lot of offices in Austin. (laughs) They do. Yeah, (laughs) scary. (laughs) Well, um, so you know, you've talked about that pain. You know that that puts you on that you know path of growth. What about you know you? own how many companies now how many different groups are you working with sheepdog response are you still doing that are you yeah yeah so i own five companies and i'm partnered with uh nine companies all right i'm gonna need a nap yeah Yeah. (laughs) so what what's that does that help you as well it's the same thing like you want to talk about pain be an entrepreneur oh man yeah right yeah Right, you want to be scared? Yeah. You know, like... Um, I've been scared every day since I started this. Right, like, yeah. can I pay my employees next week? Yeah. Like, I have, you know, dozens of people in one company that are, like, feeding their families off of the success of this idea that I've 
put into a concept that I'm now selling things through. Right. Right. And then like if that construct fails, like do their families starve and that's on me? Like, mm. cool. All right. So that means I'm not going to fail and I like pain. So right. whatever it takes to make this successful, I'm going to go ahead and do that. You don't see that aspect and get so scared that you don't do it. That's the difference. There are people that see that possibility and they go, oh, I'm never going to own a company. Instead, you see that and say, oh, cool, an opportunity to grow. Yeah. And you've been able to propel that into five companies. Yeah. And or fail. Yeah, or fail. Yeah. I've, yeah. Like, I've had a couple of companies fail. Yeah. And um, that hurt. Yeah. Like it hurt the ego. It hurt the bank account. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the ego is the biggest one to like to fail at something. Right. Um, and, you know, like people, wait, so I'm not getting a paycheck? No, man, that's what, that's what out of business means. Mm. You know, like I'll give you a really great letter of recommendation, but like. <laughs> yeah, we're done. Heck, I'm broke. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like we got to figure this out. No more paychecks. Um, and like that's pain yeah. that you never want to experience again. You know, but I feel like being a fighter in, prepares you for a lot of that. You know, I've, no, I've noticed yeah. that about you guys, uh, particularly in the you know, the UFC or Bellator guys I've been around. Like they are almost all, almost I say, almost all extremely humble. Well, you should be because you get pit punched in the head when you're not. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Is if you're extremely successful in that sport, you've gotten your butt kicked a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Probably more than you should, you know? Like <laughs> then it's I mean, healthy. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know how to like measure total traumatic brain yeah. injuries. Um, but in the variety that I have incurred on my brain, it might be completely unprecedented. Totally unique. Think about that. Like yeah. how many other dudes do you know that have been blown up? Mm -hmm. Like have as many jumps out of an airplane with really crappy landings because I'm again, I'm stupid. Um, and professional fighters for 20 years. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the in even rolling, man, you still incur things doing that. Yeah. I mean, I've been, you know, lightly on the mats and it's it's tough. Yeah. Every roll is tough. Yeah. You know, painful. Yes. Painful, yeah. Which you, you thrive like. on. <laughs> yeah. You don't just like, you thrive yeah. off yep. of it. <laughs> you know, you, you were getting, you were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, taking your bow out. And obviously you're an avid hunter. Um, and we are in a room surrounded by very exotic animals. Uh, they're so pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they are. You, what has, what makes you love the hunt? And what do you say to people that are like animal killer? And you disgust me. Um, they're, they're cowards and they're ignorant. So anybody that, uh, like if you, so, I mean, even if you're like the purest vegan on the planet, I argue that I do more for nature and our environment than you do. Mm. Um, the way I feed my family, the way I source my meat, the, um, the quality of nutrients that I give my family, um, yeah. Like everything you see around me, we ate and everything that, that you, that you see around us, um, was very carefully selected right. in why it should be shot, where it should be shot, when it should be shot and what I'm going to do with it after it got shot. Mm. Um, so like 
got a really pretty bear out there. Mm-hmm. And um, the way that that bear tag is issued is they look at the total amount of food that's available in a given space. And then they estimate the number of bears that are living in that space. And they say, okay, this food will support 10 bears. Well, the bad news is there's 15 bears in this area of land. So what's going to happen to these bears? They're going to starve to death. Yeah. Not five of them. Right. Maybe eight of them. Wow. Maybe nine of them. Mm. Right. Like, Maybe all of them, mm-hmm. or maybe because there's not enough food, their immunity systems are going to be so weak that they all might die yeah. or they can't reproduce. So what they do is they issue X number of tags in that d- disparity, the delta between food available and number of animals that are there. So boom, now you have a bear tag. You can go to this very specific area and you can kill a very specific animal to keep the balance even. Um, like that's how that works. I don't think anybody understands that. No. Um, and so in the biggest thing that is hurting wildlife is habitat. Mm. And do you know what the number one protection for habitat is? What? Hunters. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spend more money protecting habitat. Like Ducks Unlimited does more thing things to protect um, wildlife habitat than anyone else on the planet. Yeah. Number two, Safari Club. Wow. Like, think wow. about that. Yeah. Like, the people that are demonized the most in, like, every single stupid tweet, it's because they're ignorant, mm-hmm. first and foremost. Like, they're just ignorant. They don't understand. And they don't want to take the time to learn. Yeah. Um, I love hunting because it's painful. Yeah. That's like, oh, uh, there we go. Big surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> more I, pain. Yeah, more pain. Like, if you do something wrong... Yeah. You don't get to eat. Right. Right? Like yeah. like if you don't do trade craft properly, if you didn't do the right preparation, if you didn't do all of the proper things leading up to that moment and there are millions of little decisions, then you're going to fail. Yeah. And that with that failure comes humility. Like do you know how much it stinks to have to text dudes like Andy Stumpf and be like, "Yeah, man, I got skunked on my hunt today." <laughs> you know? And he's like, "Ha." You're so horrible. You're the, just the worst hunter ever. I'm humiliated to call you my friend. Please never call me again, Tim. <laughs> you know? but, but you do see that. You, you see guys coming back empty. Yeah. It happens. It does happen. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. Some. It, I mean, luck has a play with it. It right. also has to do with skill. Like, do you see Cameron Haynes coming back empty-handed? Uh, I don't think so. Not <laughs> very often. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. Like that guy, I hate him. No. Guys yeah. like him and guys like him and you know um, John Dudley like yeah. you hardly ever see those guys. I mean, you don't really see. No, them you don't. Empty. Yeah. No, I. I mean, I hope they have leprosy because <laughs> they're just so good. You know? It's annoying. Yeah. Or something else that's generative that right. they'll like have a lot of horrible signs from and slowly die. <laughs> so you know, but talk talk a bit about that because people do not understand that you know those those dollars do go towards conservation. Not those dollars. Like I mean, the, one of the greatest examples of it. Um, there was a rhino in Texas in a high fence ranch mm. and the rhino, a male was post-production age. I mean, it was not making any more sperm, right? Like it could not have any more babies. It is a done rhino. And now it's at a point where it's weight, like it's going to die of old age in a painful old rhino way. Right. Um, that rhino is worth like a hundred thousand dollars. 
in in hunter money, right? right. Now, of that $100,000, all of it was going to go to habitat preservation in the natural indigenous area of where those animals existed. Wow. All of it. But because somebody found out that a hunter was going to shoot a rhino and was going to pay this exorbitant amount of money, he was immediately demonized. Um, Mm. Even though it's the kindest thing to do to the animal, it's the best thing to do to protect the animals, all the other animals, (laughs) to to protect all other rhinos. Like this is the best case situation of how to protect a rhino population, an animal that is on its way to being extinct because of habitat. And then you have somebody that's going to come in and pretty much donate $100,000 for habitat protection. But instead, we're just going to be like, oh my gosh, this guy's so horrible. Let's let's dox him online and find out where he works and ha- make him close down his office. And yeah. you're just like, oh, imagine that. A bunch of ignorant, alarmist assholes that just don't know anything and um, have their panties all the way up their butts. <laughs> all the way. All the way. Yeah. <laughs> Deep. So, you know... You seem pretty concerned with the culture nowadays, you know, with how it is. What's what's your most major concern with what you see nowadays? I think, I think the outrage culture is yeah. the thing that's like the the most dangerous thing because outrage culture prevents people from talking. Mm. Right? It's it means that I you can create this world that you, this, this, this vacuum of a world where, so I can pick up my phone, right? I can unfollow all the people that don't align with me politically. I can unfollow, um, all the people that say things that might trigger me. I can, so then I create this false world of only ideas that I agree with. Mm. How is that a good plan? Yeah. Right? right? Where there's nothing different or challenging mm-hmm. about my views, whether it's political, religious, environmental, like every single possible issue that is a trigger issue these days, you can create a vacuum to live in. Then anytime you come across something that is different, you just feed off the same regurgitated information from the vacuum that you're living in to be outraged about something that exists outside of your pathetic, tiny little vacuum. Um, that's very dangerous. So like if you open like my Twitter right now, like I follow everybody, yeah. you know, like I almost like want you to look, be like, you follow the NWACP? Like, yes, I do. Like you follow the ACLU? Like, yes, I do. Like you, why do you like, why is your number one news source NPR? I'm like, and, um, Al Jazeera. Yeah. Well, because they're different than my views. Yeah. That's why. Cause they challenge my views. Mm. Um, because it makes me take a second, a pause, and like, why would this person believe this? Then why would I believe something that's different? And then it makes me have to evaluate all of my beliefs. Um, and they're just beliefs. They're opinions. Right. Like, right. Like, how difficult is it nowadays to find real fact? Oh, like, yeah. You Google so it? So hard. Yeah. That's what you do? Yeah. Yeah. You get this <laughs> objective. Jim, that's all fact, though. Yeah. Nobody yeah. at Google is biased No, at all. nobody. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a completely open source fact checker. Google is, <sighs> yeah, without a doubt. So the the ability to find truth, yeah, is is almost impossible now. Right. So now we're just going off opinion and belief, and those opinions and beliefs are in this microcosm, mi- microcosm, microcosm, cosm, yeah, this micro world, micro world that you created, right? That is false, right? 
Interesting. It's dangerous. Yeah, it is dangerous. And you know what's funny is the the more you know you get into that, it's like you know someone else's opinion has to be right. And if it's not right, then they'll destroy all, then, you know, very often all science will get destroyed on the way to getting their opinion as the fact. Yeah. Which is crazy to yeah. me. Like it used to be like, well, we're going to, you know, f- scientifically figure this out and then that'll be the fact or, you know, or how we form an opinion, you know, and whatever that is, you know. Um, an so, objective an scientific objective, right. approach. Right. Where now, like every single scientific study is full of shit. Yeah. So wait, who paid for this study? Like pharma mm. paid for the study and we're talking about pharmaceuticals yeah, and pharma yeah. paid for the study. That's interesting. Yeah. Like there's not an objective source of truth anymore. Right. So like unless there's truly a scientific method applied to the question that's being asked, mm-hmm. like there's nothing objective about information anymore. It's yeah. all bias. You know, this idea comes to me all the time of derision and how, you know, divisive our culture is nowadays, but it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, you having Al Jazeera on your feed, NAACP, ACLU, paying attention to those things. I do the same. I I think like, you know, everybody wants to shut themselves into that little world, but you cannot change anything about the divide if you're not willing to understand, at least understand. I'm not saying agree with, yeah, but at least understand the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I now there's some instances where, like, from where I grew up and the privilege that I have, like it's going to be really difficult for me to be sympathetic and empathetic to some people's a poor African American that grew up in the Chicago um, projects, right? Right, like while I want to understand it, I may not be able to, Yeah. but I'm going to sure as shit try my hardest to try to try. Right. Right. Then we get into a problem space where we tell somebody that you, you, you can't even try. Yeah. Like, no, Tim, you can't even like begin to scratch the surface of understanding the hardships. Like, man, I've, I know what hardship feels like. Matter of fact, I seek it daily Um, (laughs) with that in mind. I will do my best yeah. And am I even allowed to do that? Can no. I, can I try? Yeah. Oh, I guess I'm not. You're right. Man. Uh, that's that's interesting. It's scary. Yeah, it is scary. What are you so what are your, you know, biggest goals now with what you're doing? What it, what is the goal of, you know, I know that obviously owning five companies, being partnered with different groups, you know, today we saw Roca, you know, we were out there working out at that gym. Yeah. What what are all these goals? built towards yeah they're they're all for a direction i'm trying to build a group mm-hmm. to positively affect change in what i have fought for mm. so um my sanity kind of rests on this idea that we are beautiful american people yeah. Right. Um, which is a kind of scary thing right now because we're in a period of time where portions of our society and our culture is trying to demonize who we are and where we came from. Like America is bad. It's always been bad. Our origin is bad and our purpose is bad. Let's try this other thing. Um, I believe we're good. I believe that we have always while we're not perfect, we have always tried to do good, like stopping fascism, stopping communism, stopping socialism, you know, like, oh, you're like 
torturing and burning people alive and gassing people in the millions. Like we're going to have to step in on this. Yeah. Um, and because I believe that the fact, the belief that we're a good, great country, um, we, I'm, I'm building this, whatever this is so that (laughs) I can leverage it to affect positive change. Right. So I can grow the next generation of green berets and Navy seals and Rangers. So I can encourage the next wave of entrepreneurs and engineers to be like, like when was the last time we built, built something truly great, Mm. you know, like we did some pretty cool things for a while. And then we're like, I don't know, what are we doing now? Like, oh, great. We made a new video game. Yeah. (laughs) Now that's made in China. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and then Apple bows to China and like, you heard about this, the Hong Kong no. app? So this is frightening. No, I haven't heard, no. So there's an app um, on the Apple store that was enabling the Hong Kong protesters, pro-capitalist, pro-republic democracy um, protesters uh, to track where kind of the military and the police were. So the Chinese government went to Apple and said, hey, remove this app because the protesters are using it to assemble Mm. Well, okay. Um, assembling is really important in our constitution. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, yeah, super important. So China was literally telling Apple that there's a group of freedom-loving people that are trying to assemble and we want you to remove their ability to do it. And Apple did that. Oh. They removed the wow. the app. Um, so we're in a really scary time yeah. where we are caving and bowing to everything when money prevails over freedom that's a massive issue yeah yeah greedy yeah Yeah. when politicians realize that they can promise free in exchange for their continuance to serve the people right um then freedom's lost yeah the career of that yeah very true so you know i i often think about your career as a fighter and what you did in the UFC, because you know that was kind of that was where I first saw you. Yeah. Do you do you miss it at all? Do you miss being out there? Uh, yeah. In that and having the crowd and the lights and uh, stepping into the octagon and you know one on one. Yeah. Yes and no. F- fighting is a really selfish thing. Um, it feels really good to have your hand raised. You know, it feels really good to get this knockout. Um, in the preparation up to that moment, it's all about you, you know, like how much you're sleeping, how much you're eating, how often you're training. Um, and that is a really, sounds really hard on a family. Yeah. 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 And a soul, I think, mm. um, back to entitled, like when you're, you know, like I, I was the number two fighter on the planet fighting for world titles. Yeah. Um, there is like this, I deserve to have, this time to train or I deserve to have like this level of coaching and um, I deserve to, and none of that's true. It's all false. And it's very difficult to not fall into that professional athlete level entitlement where you see LeBron like saying the dumbest things these days Mm. where like, bro, you're, you know, like you're worth a billion dollars. Like your opinion is not, based in reality anymore because you haven't been part of reality for a really long time. Um, that's a, another example of entitlement. Yeah. 
So, you know, within that, do you, you know, do you think that your family has changed your perspective on a lot of things, you know, because we talked about, you know, that with fighting a little bit and, you know, and you're and obviously you have a wife and kids Mm -hmm. to think about. How does that change your perspective in life overall? You know, I mean, you do family's pain. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it is. I have a two week old baby. Um, we did a pretty badass. Congratulations, work- by Thank the way. You. Yeah. Pretty badass workout this morning. Yeah. Um, you know, f- flying around in a helicopter, going to get great lunch, and then going to the range and doing some more work. And you were um, sleepy though. <laughs> I'm tired. I am. A, I am a tired, tired, tired ranger right now. I appreciate you doing this podcast, yeah. Steve. <laughs> I'm just surprised I'm not drooling and sleeping uh, on this desk. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, having the, you know, having that family though, it's, it's obviously, you know, it changes things for you, yeah. you know, and the, your direction and the decisions that you can make. What happens after pain? Yeah. Growth. Growth. Right. Family, while it is painful, it is the most beautiful growing of an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was in love with my wife. And I'm like, this is a realization of what love means, Mm -hmm. right? And then you hold your first kid for the first time and you're like, okay, my capacity for love has grown. Yeah. And then you don't sleep and then, then they piss on you and they poop on you and they throw up on you and you're like, do you want my capacity love for love has yet grown again, right? And then, um, now you have this beautiful wife and this beautiful son and you're like, dude, this is the realization of like the man capacity for love. Like I got my son, I got my, my wife, you know, she's gorgeous, you know? And, and then like you have your daughter and like your capacity for love grows. Cause it's different. Right. Like yeah. you do not love your son this way that you love your daughter. They're different. <laughs> and like, you don't definitely don't love them the same way that you love your wife. Yeah. And there's pain associated with all of those things. And with that is growth, mm. you know? So like you're a, you, your capacity to emotionally feel the spectrum of your emotional availability grows. Yeah. How do you want your, how do you want, what do you want to see most from your kids? As they grow, what 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 are the things that Tim Kennedy wants imparted on his children, and what would be the things that you're most proud of and seeing in them? Um, that they make this place a better place. Yeah, like I think that's it. Yeah. Um, like I hope I make this place a better place. Yeah. Like everything that I'm trying to leverage, all of these things that I'm doing is ultimately to make this place a better place. I think you're doing all right so far. <laughs> well, get, I. I honestly think I'm just getting started and I think they might even do more than I have done. Mm. You know, like I did more than I think I've done more than my dad did. Yeah. You know, and then like my grandpa was a world war two, um, greatest generation lived through the depression. Like I think that my dad did more than my grandpa did, you know, like we can just keep going. Right. And I think we're just going to keep doing that. Yeah. Wow. What did that, what is that, you know, in decision making, you know, going into, you know, your job, going into your positions with your businesses and all that, how has that affected, you know, from, you know, coming from your father and having that grandfather, how much has it affected your path and what you're doing now? Um, they are the bar that I measure myself against. Yeah. Um, you know, my grandpa, my uncles also incredible human beings, men, um, my dad, uh, my brother, yeah, like my brothers, they're all just like, it sucks. 
Because <laughs> they don't compare me to them, yeah. but I compare me to them. Yeah. You know, like, and, and the world doesn't know who these men are, but I know who they are, and I know what they do, and I compare myself to them. Yeah. Not in a dangerous way where I'm like always evaluating, like, but in, in a, like, I know what success looks like. I know from my brother Chad what being an amazing father looks like. Yeah. And um, I know from my brother Nick what it looks like to be um, a selfless civic servant. Yeah. You know, and then I know from my brother Justin what it looks like to be a true Christian, mm. you know, and, um, and like, I want to be better than them in all of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so competitive. <laughs> I know. I'm going to be a better Christian than you. Is that possible? I'm going to be a better father. <sighs> How do I find more pain at being a dad? Cool. I'm sure you can find it if you yeah. want to. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that's interesting because my, you know, my faith as a Christian has kept me grounded in, in what I do and um, you know, where I move with this project, I see it as an act of testimony in my life. But what what's that thing that gives you the most stability in your position and you know, where you're at in your life now? What what does that for you? Fear, pain, family and God. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Together. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as we kind of wrap this up, I want to know, you know, I've been asking everybody this, but what do you want the world to view Tim Kennedy as? Like, what's your legacy? What do you want to look back on one day and realize that you accomplished the most? I know that's a kind of a broad one. Yeah. Um, I want people to look at what I have done or what I'm doing and be able to, without a doubt, there was a moment in their life where they had a choice mm -hmm. and that choice was to do a hard right or an easy wrong. And they mm -hmm. chose a hard right. And I influenced that somehow. Yeah. You know, where it's like, okay, I could vote for somebody that's promising me to give me a welfare check for a hundred dollars a month. And that sounds great. Or I could vote for this guy that, is promising me nothing, but my success is going to be on my shoulders alone. Mm. I'll take that option. Um, where somebody is waking up in the morning and they look at their alarm clock and they're like, do I hit snooze or do I get up and go for a run? Mm. And they get up and go for a run. Like not consciously, it's not like they're laying in bed and they're like, okay, Tim Kennedy would go for a run. But somewhere in there, they remembered, they you saw- need to make an app. Yeah. They saw my hands dripping with blood and calloused and they yeah. saw the scars on my face and they saw, you know, the pain in my eyes from the things that I've done and seen. And they're like, I'm just going to go ahead and go to my kid's soccer practice instead of sitting on the couch to watch this football game. Because mm. that's the better thing to do. Right. Even though those choices are much harder to make. Yeah. Often. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what our country was built off of. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Tim's going to go now run through the yard in a Speedo with yep. the American flag behind him. Cannons blowing in the background and bald eagles flying overhead. I have all of those things but the bald eagles. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to get those. <laughs> I do. <laughs> You're just not legally allowed to own them. Oh, yeah. I have looked into it. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Tim, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. I Absolutely. Really, it's been uh, it's been a while. Yeah, too uh, long. Yeah, too long, man. Uh, thanks for coming on. And thanks again for being on. Everybody listening to the podcast, don't forget our legacies are the mission. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, keep listening. Boom. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim K. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission. <laughs>